This episode was recorded on Yugara, Yugarabul country. I pay my respects to elders past and present. In the spirit of reconciliation, I would also like to acknowledge the continuing cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, who are the original custodians of the land now known as Australia. Welcome to Weekend Birder, one of Australia's top science podcasts. I'm Kirsty Costa. For those tuning in for the first time, this show shares the joys of bird watching and the appreciation of the wild birds around us. Episodes are short and information is bite sized so that you can get outside and try out your new skills and knowledge. In this episode, we are welcoming back Hugh Possingham. Hugh is the co chief counsellor of the Biodiversity Council, the vice president of BirdLife Australia, and is the former chief scientist of Queensland. If you haven't heard Hugh share his love of the Oxley Creek Common in Brisbane, I highly recommend you listen to episode 25. In this episode, Hugh is going to teach us about Australian robins. I'm really excited about this topic. Many thanks to Kim, Margaret, Richard and Rob for requesting it. Here is what Hugh has been up to since we last heard from him. My favourite activity is to go back to the limestone coast of South Australia. It used to be called the southeast of South Australia. And I redo bird transects that my father and I set up in 1981. And probably, you know, it's interesting to go back to places that you first went to 42 years ago. One of my favourite parks down there is Bangham Conservation Park. And it's quite close to the Victorian border and it benefits a lot. A lot of that area is heavily fragmented. So 85% of the vegetation has been lost. Most of the parks are only 1,000 hectares or less. But the Victorians weren't so assiduous at destroying all their vegetation. And the Little Desert National Park is a huge block of vegetation that goes right up to the border. On the South Australian side, because I don't cross the border because that would be disloyal, um, we have a small park called Bangham Conservation Park and Eagle Hawk Wetlands Waterhole owned by Nature Glenel Trust. And, you know, I had some nice days where I saw five species of robin, which is what makes me happy um, because robins are declining and finding five in a single day is, is a remarkable thing. And just seeing a really good intact woodland bird community makes me extremely happy because it's very rare to find an intact woodland bird community in southeastern Australia anymore. Uh, and there's two main habitat types. One is stringy bark, the thing that the red-tailed black cockatoos love, sort of scrubby, a bit spiky and prickly in the understory, sometimes a lot of acacias. Uh, banksias, which are nice two species of banksia, banksia ornata, banksia marginata. And then on the flatter areas in the clay, uh, there's often gums, it's usually blue gums, red gums, some pink gums. Um, and of course, South Australians call eucalyptus leucoxlin blue gum and the Victorians call it yellow gum, which is another cause of major dispute other than the football. So yeah, there's two main habitats. There's a lot of variation in there. It's What I find fascinating about the limestone coast is it's 2 million hectares. It's a biodiversity hotspot for Australia. But there's no topography. So you can climb Mount Monster, which has a nice little national park there with a good bird list. You can climb Mount Monster and you climb all the way up to 93 metres. That's a mountain in the limestone coast. So it has enormous variety of habitat types and there's heathlands and swamps and other, other things, but, but it's pretty well flat and all the habitat variation is driven by soil type and water. The limestone coast is west of Melbourne and south of Adelaide. 
This part of Australia is approximately 28,000 square kilometres and gains its name from the large amount of limestone located under the soil. Highly recommend a visit. Hugh mentioned that he saw a lot of robins while he was there. This bird family has well and truly captured his heart. Australia has 20 species of robin. They're called Australian robins very specifically because although presumably when they were first named and somebody saw in Sydney or Melbourne a scarlet robin or maybe a flame robin, they said, well, that looks very much like the European robin. But in fact, they're hardly related at all. Australian robins are an independently evolved group of robins, probably go back tens of millions of years, wandering off in Gondwana. And of course, the American robin, which is the other popular robin, is more like a blackbird. It's, it's a thrush, really. And of course, our robins, I always think, I mean, a scarlet robin is really bright red and a flame robin is a deep, vivid orange, whereas the European robin is sort of a bit of a rusty brown and American robin's not much better. So I think ours are much prettier. We have 20 species in Australia, but it is part of a bigger Australasian family of 50 species, roughly, and hardly any good across Wallace's line. So the robins are most diverse in Australia and New Guinea, but there's a few scattered around the Pacific, and I'm pretty sure none get across Wallace's line like so many of our other birds. They look and behave a bit like a European robin. They sort of sit on branches and pounce onto the ground, which is part of their problem, really. It's that pouncing onto the ground to get their food that causes their declines because of predation by cats and foxes. And they're pretty fussy. They need to pounce onto sort of openish areas. They need a lot of leaf litter. So if you get invasions of invasive grasses and buffalo grass and the understory thickens up, of the 20 species that are in Australia, the ones in southern Australia have all been in decline, unfortunately, probably going down 1% or 2% per year every year for the last 20 or 30 years, as far as we can tell from the limited data that we have. Thank you, Hugh, for that gentle reminder to take care of Australia's precious habitats and also keep cats inside so that birds can thrive. Hugh is going to share what he knows about some of Australia's robin species, starting with the scarlet robin. Scarlet robin is the one I grew up with in the Mount Lofty Ranges um, and it, because it's bright red on the chest and has a lovely huge white dot on its forehead and it's typical of dry eucalypts and even somewhat wetter eucalypt forests all through southeastern Australia. And in fact, in the Adelaide Hills where I did all my early bird watching, it was pretty well the only robin you could regularly see, so things were a little bit simple. As you move east, you get flame robins, which pretty similar. It's oranger rather than redder, but you know, that's when the bird books can be very deceiving, can't they? If you just see this reddish thing and you're saying, is that reddy orange or is that reddy red? Unless they're sitting, happen to sit next to each other on a fence, it's hard to tell. The orange goes up all the way up through the throat, whereas the scarlet robin has a more of a black hood. Both the flame robin and the scarlet robin hang out in southeastern Australia, including Tasmania. So this is a great first robin identification tip from Hugh because they are really tricky to tell apart. To recap, the male flame robin has a dark grey head and its orangey feathers go from its breast all the way up to its throat, basically the base of its bill. The male scarlet robin has a blacker hood of feathers on its head and its orange-red feathers stop a little further down, kind of at the top of its breast. It's also worth mentioning that the females of these species are easier to tell apart. The female scarlet robin is more sandy brown coloured than the male, with a much smaller forehead spot and this pale peachy coloured patch on its breast. The female flame robin has a much larger forehead spot and is mainly grey-brown 
and buff coloured. It doesn't have peach or orangey red feathers at all on its body. Hugh says that it's also a delight to get to know the pink and rose robins. Rose robins, which almost behave more like the warblers hanging around in the canopy and are more of a rosy pink colour. And then there's the pink robin, which is down in the wet forests around Melbourne and Tasmania. You'll get them in where there's lots of um, tree ferns and wet eucalypts. Here's some advice from me about how to identify the pink and rose robins. The male pink robin has a black head, back and tail, with a pinkish red breast that goes all the way down its belly. The male rose robin has a slaty grey head, back and tail, with a brighter pink breast and a white belly. Basically, there's more pink on a pink robin. The feathers of a female pink robin are mainly brown and sometimes you can see this faint pinkish tinge on its belly. Meanwhile, the female rose robin is more grey than brown and its breast has a noticeable pale pink patch. So the opposite is true for females. The rose robin has got more pink on it. I have found that the pink robin is a quiet and shy bird, while the rose robin is more active and vocal. Here is a recording from Geoffrey Monchow at O'Reilly's in the Gold Coast hinterland on Ugumbe country. Another robin that Hugh has observed is the red cap robin. My favourite robin, actually I think it might be the most widespread robin, to be honest, is the red cap robin, because that is like a scarlet robin, and it's got a bright, instead of a white dot on its forehead, it's got a red dot on its forehead. And it sometimes is the most spectacular because it's often in the arid zone, living in Casuarinas and Colitris and Mallee, all through the centre of Australia. And when there's not much going on and the vegetation is a, is a bluey green and there's not a lot of colour in the landscape, these red cap robins just, I mean, they're just amazing. And you can see them from a long way away, even though they're actually a really tiny little bird. The female red cap robin is browner in colour and has a noticeable pale rusty cap which is a patch on its head above its beak. In episode 17, Vicky Austin explains some of the reasons why female birds can look different to male birds. Hugh is also curious about bird evolution and adaptation. A male starts to develop a characteristic, and for some plus for no apparent reason, it's seen as sexy. So it's really about the thing. There's a, there's a mutation more in the females that creates this attraction to an adornment, and obviously it gets quite ridiculous in birds of paradise and peacocks and things like that. But in most of our birds, there is certainly strong sexual selection. There's advantages for the females to be less obvious. A, really females are the, the, the part of the species that dominate the reproduction. Because in many birds, in fact, of course, even though we see them often as pair bonded, males can often mate with multiple females. And there's a lot of promiscuity in the bird world. Those people who have, say, a pair of scarlet robins on their property or they regularly go and see in the bush, they'll often see the same pair in the same place time and time again. You never quite know who they've really mated with. And so the females are the ones that really drive reproduction and output. Actually, with with things like robins, I think they share a lot of the sitting on the nest. So it is a fair bit of male work sitting on the nest. That said, you know, the, the colour is often on the chest, right? And when they're sitting on the nest, uh, the robins will just appear to be black or grey. Hugh has spoken so far about robins that have red and pink feathers. Here are some other robins found in Australia. But we have 20 species. We have a group of the yellowish ones and northern ones. But we have two that superficially, you're not even sure that they are robin. They might look like a, a thrush. So the southern scrub robin, probably one of my favourite birds, runs around in the broom bush in the Mallee in drier parts of South Australia and Victoria, Victoria in the northwest in the Mallee. A, it's very cranky. It's a very cranky bird. So as soon as you get anywhere near it, 
it chews and rattles at you uh, and gets generally upset. So it almost wants to frighten you away, but it's also very timid. And it scuttles around largely on the ground, eating insects off the ground, behaving like a thrush. So this was probably a, one of, there's two of them, the northern scrub robin and the southern scrub robin, quite an early evolution of robins. Instead of just sitting on branches and pouncing down, these two just decided they've stopped jumping up. They just stay on the ground and run around and eat. And it's another example, I suppose, of convergent evolution. Australia doesn't have a lot of thrushes in general. Uh, we have really only two true thrushes, the um, Bassian thrush and the russet-tailed thrush. And we don't have an enormous number of ground birds in general, but the robins decided they would occupy this niche. Then we got the scrub robins. As I say, very feisty birds, uh, sometimes very hard to see, actually. So well worth looking out for when you're in that sort of Mallee country in southern Australia. The other thing about the scrub, southern scrub robin, it has a, a black mark going vertically through its eye, which... You know, almost all birds, when you think about it, they have marks around their eye, but they're almost always horizontal or they're effectively eyebrows, a mark above the eye, occasionally below the eye. Presumably that's to do with their ability to see, but the scrub robin has a vertical mark through its eye. No idea why. The recording of the southern scrub wren was by Greg McLaughlin at Mount Hope in New South Wales on Wangapuyan country. This robin is quite unique because robins as a family are not that vocal. The eastern yellow robin, familiar to the people in wetter forests, has a nice piping call and a, a, and a choo-choo call that it makes at dawn. But sometimes, like on my last trip down to the limestone coast in the winter there, the scarlet robins were basically entirely silent, partly because it's winter, and they'll perk up a little bit as spring comes, but they'll often only call every 10 or 15 minutes. I generally find them um, in groups, mixed flocks, particularly in the winter time. So at that winter, autumn time, a lot of the insectivorous birds hang out in groups. I notice the core of those groups is often a brown tree creeper or a white-throated tree creeper. And the robins and the fantails and maybe a couple of thornbills and the scrub wren are all hanging around in a group, wandering over a few hectares. And they stick together as a group and maybe a couple of whistlers as well most of the day. And they may even do that for the whole winter period, hanging out with the same individuals. So my advice to people is because the robins are not easy to hear and you don't obviously see them, is if you find a fantail or if you find a tree creeper, there's almost going to be certainly something else. So wait. For example, here in the winter in Brisbane, we have a few rose robins come down to my favourite bird watching spots. They actually make almost no noise at all. Occasionally, they'll make a tiny tick, which is almost entirely useless. The only time I find them is because I'm watching a group of fantails which are easy to find and then a couple of whistlers turn up and they're pretty quiet and then suddenly I realise there's a robin, a rose robin and it's been sitting five metres from my nose. So bottom line is mixed flocks are great. Don't ignore what might appear to be yet another boring grey fantail. Watch it and see what else is hanging around with it. Love that advice from Hugh. Keep your eye on groups of small birds because you never know what you might see. Flame, pink and rose robins all migrate seasonally. They all tend to breed in southeastern Australia during spring and summer. In winter, flame robins migrate as far north as Queensland to find food and warmer weather. Pink robins will head to northern Victoria, South Australia and southern New South Wales. 
Rose robins migrate from rainforests to drier, more open habitats and the coastal areas of southern Australia. And we will learn all about the eastern yellow robin in a special upcoming episode. Interestingly, Hugh and his team have been trying to figure out what makes up a healthy bird community. And robins might be part of the answer. We're doing, with my colleague Martine Marin and others, trying to look at all the 20-minute, two-hectare count data from all over Australia and try and understand, you know, if you were did a 20-minute, two-hectare count, could you actually work out whether that was a healthy bird community or maybe you need to do five counts or not? And sometimes I think actually maybe the robins are the key. The abundance and diversity and the probability of seeing a robin may well tell you quite a lot about the health of an entire bird community, partly because they're everywhere, they're all over Australia, and partly because they're in decline and they're indicative of so many other insectivorous birds. They work hard. They work hard for their food. Hugh has seen 17 of Australia's 20 species of robins. The three species that he hasn't seen are all up on the east side of Cape York Peninsula, particularly Iron Range, which is probably one of the most iconic birdwatching spots in all of Australia. And this is where Hugh is heading next. So I've never been to Cape York. I've never been to Iron Range. There's at least 20 bird species that I've never seen before that I hope to get in the one frenetic week that I have. But in particular, there's three robins that I have never seen. Would love to be able to get the whole 20. I, I ticked off all my thornbills about five years ago. I got all the 14 thornbills. I want to get all the 20 robins. I've got three to get. Uh, one is the northern scrub robin, which you know I would love to see because it seems quite odd that there's a bird that lives in the Mallee and it's a scrub robin, and the only other scrub robin is this northern scrub robin that's living, living in sort of jungle in a tropical environment. So that's odd. So I'd love to see that. There's a white-faced robin, which is a bit like a yellow robin. And then there's this other group of robins we have, three of them, one of which is the Jackie Winter, which many people don't know is actually a robin. They often have this name, fly robin. So Jackie Winter is a fly robin, and there's a yellow fly robin up there as well as to lemon-breasted fly robin. The yellow fly robin, again, is is only found on Cape York Peninsula. It's sort of like a yellow Jackie Winter, I assume. So I can't wait to see them all, to be honest. I, I'm fingers crossed. I've got five days, a group of crazy birders. As I say, I really go on a specialised bird-ticking trip, but this is one of the few times I'm willing to spend a week and the money just trying to get another few birds on my Australian bird list and the the three robins are the things that I'm most looking forward to seeing. We have heard from other weekend birder guests that bird watching can be as much about the people we're with as the birds that we see. At the start of this episode Hugh talked about the limestone coast. It was in this place that Hugh and his dad saw a robin that they didn't expect. About 2009 my father and I were on one of our last bird watching trips together and we unusually in the middle of the southeast a long way out of its normal range, we found a red-capped robin. Normally the red-capped robins are in the mallee and the drier scrub, and we found these red-capped robins appear on the edge of a Melaleuca swamp. Again, not where you'd expect to see a red-capped robin in a place called Talapar Conservation Park, probably 100 kilometres from the nearest pair. And oddly enough, um, a few years after my father died in 2021, I went back to the same park, to the same spot, the same pair of red-capped robins is still there 12 years later. And every now six months, I always go to Talabar Conservation Park and there's always a pair of red-capped robins 
as I say, there are almost no records for 100 kilometres in all directions. And sometimes they've got an offspring from that year and sometimes they haven't. They're just the pair. Partly reminds me how weird birds are and where they turn up and where they stay and the fact that this pair somehow got here from who knows where and has decided to be there and they live a very, very long time. I, I suspect that these birds are now a pair that's been together for close to 15 years in exactly the same spot, isolated from all the other red cap robins that are 100 or 200 kilometres to the north. Wow. I don't know about you, but I have learnt so much about robins. Many thanks to Hugh for sharing his smarts with us and for the work that he is doing on the ground and at a governance level to care for Australia's birds. Follow Weekend Birder on Instagram for more robin fun facts and a quiz to test your identification skills. A five-star review on Apple or Spotify is also always appreciated. Speak to you again soon. 